Welcome to today's podcast, Protecting Your Company by Protecting Your Executives and Their Personal Lives. Enterprise cybersecurity has always focused on that which is within the company's walls or where its data lies. In recent years, employees bringing their own devices has shifted this paradigm with employees giving up some privacy and containerization in exchange for accessing work email on their personal devices. However, recently the threat landscape has shifted more dramatically. Adversaries are actively targeting key executives, CEOs, CFOs, CEOs, and other business leaders in their personal lives to break into or gather intelligence on the company. Whether it is password reuse and credential stuffing, hacking the home router, or infecting the executive or a family member with malware, the attackers have set their sights on executives in their personal lives to gain access to the company, accounts, or sensitive data. In this podcast, Rain Founder and Chief Collaborative Officer David Lawrence interviews Dr. Chris Pearson, CEO and founder of Black Cloak, which has been on the front lines of personal cybersecurity for executives for the past two years. Their solution set solves cybersecurity for executives and their families by hardening their home, devices, and online presence. Offered as a benefit to key executives, Black Cloak has been protecting the leaders of our nation's critical infrastructures and key financial institutions. Their cybersecurity offering provides real-time, 24-7 cybersecurity and privacy protection from a team of top-tier cyber professionals with zero friction to the executive. And with that, I will pass it over to David. David? Chris, uh, it's a great honor and privilege to be able to uh, speak with you and have you share some of your insights and perspectives of what's going on uh, in the world of cybersecurities and cyber threats and how institutions and families and even individuals have to think about the current landscape. So thank you again for joining us. I appreciate it, David. Thank you so much. So what I'd actually uh, like to start with is um, you can share with the audience, you have a very interesting personal narrative, but a little bit about your background um, and how uh, you came to form uh, the company Black Cloak, and quite frankly, even the names uh, would be of interest in terms of how you arrived <laughs> at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I was lucky. I started coding when I was six years old, and I was able to combine, you know, some of the, the talents and strengths there of engineering when I got out of college um, with some uh, interest in encryption work. Um, and then was able to combine on top of that the knowledge of the law. I was an outside attorney where I uh, started a uh, corporate law firm practice uh, around cybersecurity, really network intrusion, network defense. This is back in 2002 before data breaches actually were a thing. There was no such law that was on the books, and we kind of started and got got ahead of the curve then. I then went on to become the chief privacy officer for the Royal Bank of Scotland, which at that point in time was the third largest bank in the world, and was really seeing the intersections between not just the law, not just cybersecurity, but also privacy and risk in business. I went on to be the chief information security officer for two different payment uh, companies, and once again, continued to see all those things intersect. But yet, in the personal lives of executives, in the personal lives of our board, the personal lives of those venture capital and private equity backers that we had, they didn't have anything. They might have had guns, guards, and gates or up-armored vehicles and physical protection and kidnap and ransom uh, protection. But in their personal lives, they didn't have anything as it related to cybersecurity. Their digital lives were wide open. 
layering onto that a lot of the intelligence work that I've done with the government. I'm a special government employee of the Privacy Committee and Cybersecurity Committee appointed by the White House and the DHS secretaries for the past 10-plus years, I believe. When I was able to take all that information together, all the intelligence and what we're seeing in the business world and what we're seeing in the personal private world, there just was nothing there. There was a massive gap. There was a hole. Executives would be protected for 12 hours of the day while they were on the corporate network, but at home they weren't protected. And so if you wanted to attack the company, attack the executive in their personal life and jump into the company. And the same in terms of high net worth ultra individuals and ultra high net worth individuals. If you want to go and hack them and get financial uh, wins or extortion or ransom types of uh, wins or affect their reputation, uh, you could do so once again very easily in their personal lives. And so Black Cloak really was formed to solve just that, to protect the digital lives of our clients, especially in their personal lives. And really, for us, it was a, <laughs> you know, we want those high net worth individuals to be quiet, to be private, to be unseen, yet to do all the different things they want to do technology-wise. And that was the cloaking aspects of things. The black was really the, you know, kind of the, the uh, you know, subterfuge between the, um, uh, you know, behind the scenes as to what we were doing and how we were doing it in terms of black operations. Uh, many of our folks have... Uh, Clearances, and so a lot of it was kind of that hidden behind-the-scenes magic that we have. So both the black aspects of what we do as well as the cloaking aspects of what we can do for our clients matched together uh, and really comes from a, you know, cloak of invisibility, if you will, a type of feel to it. Okay, so uh, we have spoken in the past about uh, the requirements you have for all employees, including that they are very familiar with all the Star Wars movies. So we'll. <laughs> so draw, draw from there. So, um, you know, basically, um, you saw almost a market need or market arbitrage uh, here in terms of there was a focus on data protection, data privacy, the protection of systems. But yet, uh, with people and their personal devices and their home life, um, there was a huge swath of unprotected activity. And maybe you could share um, with with people because part of what you what you do and do so well is not simply help provide the solutions for people, but there's an educational component to so that your message to people about what they need to know and why they need to know it. And maybe you could get into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look. The, Technology and protecting yourself from a cybersecurity perspective or a privacy perspective is not something where you can just flip a switch. There is no one way to do something. There is no control that you can just implement or magic app that you just download and all of a sudden, poof, you have cybersecurity. It just doesn't work that way. In order to be a less of a target from a cybersecurity and privacy perspective, you really have to understand how your data is used, where it's used, what you're sharing or oversharing, and what selections and choices you can make that will reduce that exposure, will reduce that attack surface for you and your family. So it's knowing it and understanding it and really melding it into your life and that of your family as well. That is absolutely key and critical, and it's what we really excel at, is making sure people understand what those risks are, are able to dimension them, are on alert for them, and then we collectively with them can help solve them 
to the level that they want, which is critical. We don't solve and bring things down to a zero-risk perspective. We bring it down to what causes them no friction and aligns with literally what they want for their lives and culturally what their family wants. On the cybersecurity side, it's some of the same. You know, even if you implement all the different technology solutions in terms of spam and malware and viruses and all the rest, you cannot stop the person from clicking on something. You have to educate them. You have to train them. In terms of scam phone calls, scam emails, scam texts, once again, there's really no technology controls that are going to whittle that down to a zero-sum game. Something's always going to come through. You have to go ahead and harden the human. You have to. And when you harden the human, when you empower them, when you bring them up from wherever they're at educationally in terms of cyber and privacy, you're going to make them a harder target to hack. You're going to create an immense brand loyalty and immense connection. And at the end of the day, they and their families will be much better protected. Good. So, Chris, maybe you can um, speak to the nature of threats and where they're coming from and the types of, we'll call it, as you define a universe of threats that you're protecting people from. Uh, maybe you can give members of our audience some insights in terms of the existing environment and where you see that mm-hmm. environment going. You know, the different threats are always, you know, we always bucket them into the nation states and cyber criminals and insiders or accidental types of uh, types of threats in terms of what people will face. Uh, for those persons that are corporate executives or high net worth individuals, uh, they will see threats in all of those areas. And really, it's the motives that we look at. You know, what are people actually trying to get? In some cases, nation states, for example, North Korea is renowned for this. Now, they do want intellectual property. They do want aerospace and defense secrets. So that's absolutely a part of what they're doing. They also want money. They're wonderful hackers for money. Uh, so in terms of financial gain, they do a lot of great stuff there. Same thing with Iran. A lot of the ransomware, the exit points for the Bitcoin that is charged in exchange for unencrypting, de-encrypting, you're uh, decrypting your information, the exit nodes are coming out in Iran. And so what you see is even nation-state-backed hackers for their social, sociological or political or religious purposes or whatever it might be, actually hacking to gain money so can further their ability to operate. So we really see a few things here. And we definitely see the attacks that are 100% financially related. So this is simply a how can we steal money from the individual, whether it's a business email compromise. So that's where somebody gets in the middle of a transaction, either a real estate deal or some other transaction, and says, don't send it over to here. Send it over to bank B, not bank A, but bank B. That's where we want the money to go. Um, That is the case in terms of account takeover, business email compromise that is running rampant throughout the U.S., and obviously financial motives behind that. We do see a lot of uh, uh, cybercrime focused in on intellectual property threats. Uh, Once again, usually more nation-state-based. But what you can do is you can target these individuals on their personal devices or in their homes, and you can go ahead and try to take the secrets, the trade secrets, the items that are patentable items uh, from those devices much more easily than on the, the corporate net. And then what we also see a lot of 
kind of reputational risk or extortion and ransom risk. And sometimes they're all combined together. And that's literally a, we have bad information about you. Um, and unless you go ahead and agree to some type of a payment, we're going to release it about you, about your family, about your company, whatever it may or might be. Um, a lot of this is more automated in terms of just encrypting a hard drive and charging a ransom. But a lot of it, and I think we've seen one in recent weeks that's been highly publicized, a lot of it is how can we just sully the reputation of an individual um, or cause them individual personal family turmoil and strife and pain, which effectively right takes their time away from other activities. So those are some of the threats we see, and we see it through the same medium as, as usual, malware, viruses, and worms, intrusions that are getting on their devices, persons clicking on things through phishing emails, persons being physically scammed through phone calls, phishing uh, 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 emails and other texts out of their hard-earned money, um, as well as you know weak points in whatever environment they're in, weak points on their Wi-Fi, on encrypted communications, kind of runs the, you know, spans the gambit there. That's great. And um, one, one of the things that we advise our clients as a way to think about these things and the exposures um, <clears throat> is in non-technological terms, Chris, I would love to get your perspective on this, in that uh, when people think of cyber and cyber threats and cyber attacks, uh, the word technology comes up and they sort of, I'll call it, they freeze because mm -hmm. it is a uh, black box. It can feel overly complex and complicated. And part of the messaging that we, we um, try to send to our clients and one of the reasons why it's great to work with uh, with you and others is that basically the crimes that are being committed go back to the Bible. It's fraud, it's extortion, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's bribery, it's espionage, it is, you know, to a certain degree, uh, you're looking at efforts to destruct, uh, you refer to ransomware, which is a variation in some respects, it's just kidnapping of information, right, and holding it hostage. Absolutely. And what what has happened in an interconnected world and a world increasingly reliant upon technology is these actors just simply have a new portal from which they can operate and reach you. And they can reach you from long distances. They reach you often with uh, high degrees of impunity, high degrees of anonymity, and what I'll refer to as um, in scalable ways where the barriers of entry are very, very low, uh, whether it's technology or the ability to send out all sorts of, you know, phishing emails and things like that. And if one thinks about um, the crimes, the underlying crimes, including the things that state sponsors do for espionage and theft and misappropriation of um, material and confidential information and all those things, but if you begin to understand that what is at stake here has always been at stake, if I can use that term. It becomes a little bit easier to deconstruct what you have to protect yourself against and what you have to think about in the real world. And I know you've done a great job in terms of educating people um, to that, but I'd love to, you know, to sort of get your perspective about uh, is this, are these truly new threats or are these are just new ways of launching the threats and new ways of scaling and new ways of succeeding? 
that, that is a great way of uh, introducing this, David. The, the fact of the matter is, is that the types of right, the modus operandi is still the same. The underlying types of attacks in terms of fraud and bribery and right trying to do something bad with someone's information or possessions and all of this, all of this is the same. It's just through different means. So I very much agree with you here. We always like to, you know, whittle things down to kind of the home analogy. You know, in terms of, you know, you know, really simplifying technology, your home needs to be your digital home needs to be protected against threats so that not everybody can go ahead and come into those computers, those devices, and see what you're doing. One of the ways you do this is through a firewall. It's very much so the same conversation that we have in with people on a simpler level as to, look, your home has doors and windows and sliding glass doors. They can be, you know, closed. They can be open. They can be locked. They can have uh, drapes and shades drawn down them down on them so that you can see the so you can't see inside the home and the person and the people inside have privacy as to what they're doing and what they're looking at and all the rest. It's very much so the same thing in the technology world. But what we do a lot of times is we lose people on explaining to them, hey, you have fifty five thousand ports that are on your computer and and here's the list of them and here's what they do. We get too much into te technological weeds as opposed to bringing it high level. If you want to have privacy and security within your home, lock your doors, close your shades, go ahead and have a home alarm system, you know, make sure that you only allow the right people in. Uh, same thing in terms of your computers, your devices, and your digital life. And that way we're able to go ahead and communicate more effectively with uh, our clients. Uh, and we use, right, we use a lot of simple explanations and analogies. Uh, vehicles, we always use, right? in terms of seatbelts and airbags and the safety systems uh, in communicating with clients. And same thing in terms of just physical home security. But the bottom line is this, that all of these same types of scams and tricks and frauds and attacks, they're all similar things that have been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. It's just through a different medium and through a different light. And because it's not well understood, and part of that is back on the cybersecurity community and technology community, it's not well understood because we did a piss poor job of explaining it to people. Um, because it's not well understood, people really, their eyes glass over or glaze over on it. Um, they get lost. They get nervous. And as opposed to doing something or taking some meaningful step forward, they're literally frozen and they take no action, which is even worse. So I love uh, your metaphor of the house and you have locks on the door, yeah. have an alarm system and you you know, you have um various safety bolts on your windows, you know, that can keep things closed. Yet when it comes to the digital world, uh, it becomes overly complex. So maybe you can share uh, with our audience some of the ways that you have simplified and you've done a great job uh in terms of providing people with the solutions they need so they can manage these issues and, are in, and quite frankly, often in a very, very seamless way. And I realize every client is different of yours, um, but nonetheless, um, you know, sort of sharing some of the simple and seamless approaches of what you do and what you can do be sort of behind the scenes so, as you say, people can go on and lead their lives in a normal way. Yeah, I mean a lot of this is a lot of this is 
making sure that folks know what we're doing, how we're doing it. Um, but once again, you know, the secret is really behind the scenes, um, not overwhelming people. This is what we, you know, it's a, what we in the cybersecurity community have uh, have not done well. We've overwhelmed people with details <clears throat> as opposed to just talking to them about what results we're going to achieve and at a high level how. And so let me walk you through some of those. I mean, for us, what we believe is, look, if you're going to protect the individual, the family, the executive, whatever it might be, you need to know what bad information is out there about them, and so do they. So we harness a very powerful uh, deep web, dark web search capabilities by which we're able to actually provide those persons with their passwords. It changes their behavior almost immediately. We're able to go ahead and assess their homes so that we can tell them what the risks are to their digital lives, the same way you would do if you were walking around jiggling the doorknob on, on a person's home. We also are able to just protect through and through with our own Black Cloak proprietary technology, their different devices. But we actually do so, kind of harkening back to my chief privacy officer days, we do so in a way that doesn't collect any data any websites, any URLs. We don't want the data. We have a very, very hard stance on that. We don't want to see the data. We don't want the data. We just want to protect them from malware. And so we're actually able to achieve that. Third, we're actually able to work with them on what do they think in terms of their privacy. It's actually super simple. We literally ask them, where are you? Do you massively care about privacy, kind of hardcore privacy? Are you mushy metal? Or do you, eh, don't really care. This is all overrated to me. By asking them that question and getting one of those responses, has to be one of those responses, but by getting one of those, we're able to work with them to actually make and effectuate changes on their different devices pursuant to our methodology that actually reflects who they are, what they are, what choices they want, and as a result, just by its very nature, delivers a frictionless experience. They have the privacy that they want, and it's finally translated to their device, and they can do everything they want to do because they've worked with us on, on what those limits are. And then on top of that, it's really the education, the guidance, the concierge, the 24 by 7 by 365 behind the scenes on the front lines uh, with our clients. We actually meet in a lot of our clients. Our corporate CEOs and CFOs, general counsel, we actually all know for our Fortune 500 clients, Fortune 1000 clients. Um, many of our high-profile individuals, you know, the sports stars, celebrities, all the rest, we have personal relationships with these individuals. We get to actually know them, know their families, know what they want. It's really mirroring the product and the service together with that education and with that trusted relationship. And I'm going to really harp on that. It's got to be that trusted relationship. There is no just download an app and your cyber life is solved. Um, that's probably the biggest myth out there, biggest misconception, probably causing the most harm. It's one of those, you have to have a relationship. It's got to be a trusted relationship. It has to be concierge. But as a result of that, a few other, you know, kind of secret bells and whistles we have, we're able to really focus on protecting their digital life. Wherever they go, wherever the kids go, wherever the significant other, spouse, et cetera, goes, we're able to wrap that family in our cloak of cybersecurity protection and privacy protection. Um, that's kind of the secret sauce and how it really makes them feel a part of the team. We refer to all of our clients as part of the Black Cloak team, and we really mean it. They absolutely are part of the Black Cloak team. So um, it's a great perspective, both in terms of um, how well you know your clients and the importance.
importance of knowing sort of their digital footprint and how they rely on technology and, you know, how they use it. Uh, so it suggests that, um, you know, part of this is, number one, your ability to know your clients. Two, your clients' ability to understand the risks, which is the educational component of what you provide. But also that you are supplying um, the ability to respond to new threats and new issues that can arise. And so agility is very, very important here in terms of managing the risks, the exposures, and putting together the solutions that can protect clients. Yeah, agility is massively important to us. Cybersecurity is not a destination. There is no end point to cybersecurity. The Black Cloak services and what we really pride ourselves on is making sure that each and every quarter we are analyzing and assessing what the threats are, what control changes we need to make, what we need to do in terms of new education towards our uh, client base. I'll give you an example. So in December, right, ring uh, cameras get a lot of bad press. It's actually not really a ring problem, more a problem of people using the same passwords and usernames everywhere. And as a result, the bad guys being able to do credential stuffing attacks on ring-branded cameras and log into you know, strangers' camera systems and talk with the sons and daughters. I think we've seen a large number of videos on that. Well, the issue really is twofold, credential stuffing using the same passwords and not having dual-factor authentication turned on the Ring camera system. You know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on is, look, we know we have clients that have these devices. We know they're within the footprint of the homes. Let's go and have a special webinar by which we actually walk through how to harden your Ring camera system, uh, both in terms of email that goes out, one-on-one -on -one time that people can schedule with our concierge cyber analyst, as well as webinar where we actually walk through with anyone who wants to join how to actually effectuate better security on Ring, but more broadly, any camera system and any camera system uh, you know that may come out, how to kind of assess the privacy and security of that. So the fact of the matter is, is that cybersecurity is always changing. The attacks are always changing. The products that are getting introduced into our clients' homes is always changing. Um, our team actually purchases and buys a large assortment of the coolest, highest-tech gadgets, everything from, you know, IoT-connected and connected crockpots to different types of light switches and, and Alexas and, and Google uh, Chrome. Uh, we, we go ahead and purchase all of these different items that our clients may or might want, and we test them. We see how to set them up. We see how to secure them. Um, if it's new, if it's the latest and greatest, um, if it's at CES, um, we are looking into it so that we can be on the front lines of making sure we can protect our clients from day one with whatever new tech and new threats are coming out. And it's something you have to keep a constant heartbeat on uh, and constantly communicate to the clients in a way that doesn't scare them. Uh, there are always risks out there. What we try to do is make it a, hey, if you want to put in the Internet-connected uh, stovetop, oven, uh, dishwasher, washing machine, dryer, all the rest that beacons out to everywhere on the Internet with TV screens on all the different devices, that is absolutely something that we will help you secure and help make sure it's private uh, because it is going to be a trend that will occur, and we want to make sure that Black Cloak is there to help you solve it. So you also are suggesting a very, very important point here, which is that a lot of technology that's introduced into the market does not come pre-packed uh, with security. 
There may be some security measures, but not sufficient ones in light of the threat environment. And um, many of these things are massively marketed broadly to consumers. And, Chris, maybe, you know, uh, we can get your perspective on this uh, because in an era where, you know, consumer safety, whether it's for car seats, as you know, as you referenced, or, uh, or you know, cribs or automobiles or um, when we get on airplanes is, is paramount. Uh, you're also suggesting that in light of the current threat environment, not enough focus has been applied when it comes to introducing these wonderful new products that people are going to want to increase their convenience, to increase their, I'll call the efficiency in their life, the enjoyment of their life, and that this too has to be thought through. Absolutely. I mean, look, the, the Sometimes cybersecurity and privacy is not the number one reason for getting a product out to market. It's not the number one thing that is on persons' minds. We hope that this is changing, that this is shifting, and we're actually part of a community of, of folks that collaborates with tech companies uh, to go ahead and try to make changes there so that cybersecurity and privacy are always baked into devices, appliances, whatever. Um, so that from the first day they enter people's homes, they are by you know by default more secure, more private than they than they otherwise have been. However, with that said, getting a product out to market first, being first, uh, being the biggest, the loudest is massively important from a marketing brand awareness and sales perspective. And so we realize that oftentimes devices are entered into the uh, entered into the homes of our clients the homes of the executives, uh, sometimes unknowingly, uh, and create a greater attack surface for them. Um, you know, a lot of this is kind of the give back to the community, education, speaking to the community on how to build in privacy, cybersecurity, how consumers are really looking for that. And quite honestly, I think personally that there's a massive business sell for companies that get it right. If you have 10, you know, uh, video cameras uh, uh, that can be uh, put on the market that are about equal in terms of comp uh, competition and quality, then really you might be able to differentiate yourself on something where other people haven't put time, which is on privacy controls or security controls or dual-factor authentication or the ability to double-check when somebody has logged into your camera and it wasn't to you or it wasn't emanating from a device that's currently logged in. There's a lot of things that can be done there. Definitely a partnership between cybersecurity, privacy, uh, the law, uh, and legal experts, as well as engineers and other developers in terms of better ways to go ahead um, and uh, implement through secure development lifecycle practices and secure and private development of new products, uh, these controls uh, into and protections into the devices from day one. I think it's something that consumers should expect, most certainly something that boards of companies should expect, and it's quite something, quite honestly, something that I think companies can differentiate themselves on as well. And I can, uh, I'm going to draw you back simply because we were talking about risk from the days of the Bible, Chris. <laughs> uh, there was a time when um, technology was advancing and all sorts of products were being introduced into the home that ran on electricity. And uh, some of these things were malfunctioning, causing the risks of fire, 
exposing uh, the risks of um, electrical shock. And uh, something called Underwriters Laboratory was created, and a little mm -hmm. UL symbol to uh, both test these products before they got into the market, but also to convey to consumers that they could use them safely. And God forbid there had to be a recall, you, you had that resource to, uh, yeah. to assess and potentially communicate. And, you know, as I think about, you know, the service that you're providing to clients, which is basically you are their underwriter's laboratory, you're helping them think through the risks and the dangers and what else is needed. But the broader policy question I would ask of you is, um, isn't it time we had a sort of UL uh, for all the products that we are introducing that while they simultaneously help us and provide us with all sorts of um, advantages and communications and convenience, et cetera, and access, um, they nonetheless do expose us to a wide range of risks that many of us are not aware of. Yeah, it, it, the uh, the UL, the Underwriters Laboratories, um, that, that example has been given, you know, I've heard it talked about off and on for maybe five years, six years in terms of shouldn't there be a group that, you know, and, and this has been in different veins, but shouldn't there be a group that is able to, through 10 symbols, you know, tell people, hey, is the device, you know, secure? Is the device going to be automatically patched? Does the device offer privacy options? Does it, you know, share data with it, the company? Does it collect data? Does the company share it with affiliated parties, unaffiliated parties? Does it sell your information? You know, basically a group of 10 items that you could very easily look at the pictures and say, huh, I, I understand what this product is doing with my data, um, where this product is on a security and privacy roadmap stands, uh, uh, standpoint, and as a result of that, have some type of combined store score that can be said, okay, this is a one-star company, a two-star company or, or product, or a three-star company by a third-party, neutral, independent uh, type of, quote-unquote, lab. Um, I think that there is a great promise in something like that. Uh, I haven't seen it take off at all. And the only thing I can really, you know, assess on that is if it was easy – if it was something where it was like the good housekeeping seal or the UL, uh, you know, on the back of uh, plugs that has been tested, um, you know, the kind of the consumer reports guide, if you will, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, crash tests for vehicles, I think that's kind of the gold standard there. Um, if it was something that persons would actually use and are clamoring for and are asking for or would make buying decisions on, I would have thought it would have been done already. I personally take a step back and say a lot of people – Right, yell, argue, or upset, for example, Facebook. Hey, after X, Y, and Z data was, was uh, really shared with parties that it shouldn't have been shared with and or used in ways that it shouldn't have been used, you know, we don't want to be on Facebook anymore. We're going in protest. We're going to jump off the platform. Well, in reality, you know, maybe, who knows, 75% of the people had thoughts like that. In reality, point zero 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 one of the population actually did anything, probably even less uh, did anything. And so I also feel that, right, as it relates to cybersecurity and privacy, it's something people want. They want to achieve it. They want to have it be part of their lives. But yet, if you say what positive steps, what concrete steps have people taken to move in that direction or to vote with their wallets, on privacy and cybersecurity, they've done it less, or at least I am perceiving 
that they've done it less and it's been less impactful to their decisions. It's been more of a, if it wasn't secure, they wouldn't be offering it. And as for privacy, I'm not going to read 36-page policy. Um, I get it. It's for free or it's at low cost, and they're probably going to sell my data everywhere. But what can I do about it? Woe is me. So I do think that there's kind of two different things there. Number one, great idea for there to be some type of certifying body that can say, hey, this has the gold seal of approval. Um, but I then have to ask, does it actually have the constituent population by which they'll actually use it? and make buying decisions, purchasing decisions based off of those. And it's really one of those things where we don't have anything right now. So it's it's kind of a, you know, uh, non-secretor in terms of we just can't tell. Um, there's no usable data on it because it doesn't exist. Let's put something in place and actually see what happens. Um, I think it could hold huge value for a person's making, making purchasing decisions. That's great. Um, Grace? Sort of comments, uh, Chris, on um, the landscape as you see it developing. What should be pe what should people be mindful about? Where is all of this going in terms of thinking about protecting their data, their privacy, new devices, the Internet of Things, et cetera? What's your best advice? Yeah, I will say this: <clears throat> the home is the battleground. Uh, that that uh, the war is currently being waged over. It is a battleground by cyber criminals in terms of ransoming data, encrypting data, and ransoming it off, in terms of trying to expose data, in terms of trying to attack corporate executives, in terms of trying to deny people's ability to actually use the technology they have. Imagine the, you know, two hours before the Super Bowl, every single smart TV essentially being encrypted and you have to pay, you know, half a Bitcoin to get your TV back for the Super Bowl party. Um, as our lives become more interwoven with technology, as they become digital lives, as our families become dependent upon the digital lives, uh, really they are the linchpin to everything we do. Our cars are digital. The electricity that's delivered to our homes is digital. All of the devices and appliances that are inside the house are increasingly right digital. The amount of IoT and smart devices, it just is becoming inextricable uh, in terms of the relationship between us as humans and the technology that we have that gets us about our daily lives. Uh, the two things can't be pulled apart. As a result, what we need to do is to better protect it, to better understand it. Uh, we need to do that ourselves regardless of what the companies actually do. But I also have advice for those companies. We need to make easier, simpler decisions for the consumers so they can implement privacy, implement cybersecurity, and really control their digital lives and the data that they have. We have to make it easier from a cybersecurity perspective and privacy perspective that way. Um, we're going to have to, as consumers, take more of an interest in our digital lives a true interest in our digital lives, and especially in those of our children um, as we move forward. But really, this whole era is going to be about our digital lives, our digital personas, uh, who we are as it relates to those, and they have to be protected, absolutely have to be protected. Great. Chris, thank you as always uh, for some terrific insights. Uh, also, Thanks for the valuable services that uh, you and uh, 
your company are providing, and, and most importantly, the thought leadership that you continue to provide. We look yeah, forward to continuing to work with you and our uh, and our clients. And uh, you know, um, I very much sort of view your thought leadership as a, a public service uh, because there are not enough people who are uh, highlighting the real issues and the real risks of operating in the day-to-day world with our digital devices. So thanks again. David, thank you. Thank you to Rain as well. I really appreciate the uh, relationship we have there. Thank you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If you like this content and want more, go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a Rain member. Rain members get exclusive access to webinars, podcasts, the daily risk book email digest, expert content, and more. So go to www.rainnetwork.com backslash join to become a RAIN member today.